This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars. Premium race-spec clip-ons developed by some of the world's fastest riders. Hi everybody, welcome to another Paddock Pass podcast, a slightly special show this time. My name's Adam Weed, I'm joined by Neil Morrison and David Emmett. We're sitting in the foyer of a very alpine-looking hotel in northern Italy. We've just attended the Ducati 2023 team launch, both of World Superbike and MotoGP. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that we learned yesterday here in Madonna del Campiglio. Better pronunciation, Dave, than on the note show? Fantastic. Genuinely almost perfect oh goodness what a way to start the year of course this podcast is brought to you by rental street uh, thanks to our friends over in the u.s just check out the website if you've got a street bike and we know rentals very big in the off-road world but if you've got a street bike there's a number of accessories there of course as well as uh, spec handlebars anything you want to look at to improve the handling of your motorcycle rental street is the website to look at first of all how are we feeling guys because uh, we saw the presentation yesterday then we were carted up a mountain which was one of the more slightly surreal experiences in my life being in a very small uh tele cabina i guess you could say uh being carted up a mountain in pitch black uh, it went on for about 10 to 15 minutes we didn't know where we were going only to be greeted at the top by a very nice bonfire and another panigale dave just thrust into the snow yes yeah, so if snowy panigale it does seem a bit a little bit uh felt a little bit sorry for it really that was the second Panagata we've seen being mistreated by the climber. I wonder how many bikes Ducati are prepared to trash for display purposes. Well, they can always make a new one. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Well, they, they sold uh, apparently over 60,000 motorcycles, the CEO Claudio Domenicali told us yesterday. So uh, Ducati having a good year both off the track and on it. So, uh, yeah, it was... Um, I want to use the word opulence uh, for this launch, but I guess it's very typical of, of the, the Vroom presentation, really, that we saw in the past. Um, Philip Morris backed, of course, when Ducati used to share media duties with the Ferrari Formula One team. Um, did you ever come to one of those, Dave? I did not. Uh, the last one was in 2012, and the first Ducati event I got invited to was 2013, when we got to, after the Ducati had been bought by Audi, and we got to visit the Audi factory in uh, Munich, which was also great, because you got actually, you, getting shown around uh, working factories is always really interesting, so I enjoyed that. Yeah, Neil, we, we used to see coverage of the Vroom event pre-season. It seemed one of the more kind of, uh, in terms of press junkets, desirable ones to attend, didn't it? I, it was, you know, you, I mean, if, if we talk about the athletes alone, the riders that were on display, I mean, we had like Loris Caparossi, Nicky Hayden. Actually, I'm not sure if Vroom post-dated uh, uh, Caparossi. It would have been Nicky Hayden. Would yeah, have been Caparossi, Valentina but Rossi. we also Valentina Rossi yes. up here with, uh, with, uh, with Hayden and with... Uh, oh gosh and uh, with Dovi, uh, Dovicioso so yeah yeah so to come to one of these new, I mean I guess you, you want to you know it was like one of the big pre-season events to attend wasn't it yeah exactly yeah and the fact that we had our hotels Ducati were very kindly covering the cost of that as well was a nice little uh, sweetener to come over here um, but um, yeah the, the room event in the past was obviously like pretty cool we didn't have like a, a photo opportunity with the guys on the, a lush kind of mountain top but um, what they put on for us was uh, was quite impressive and I think opulent was, was the right way to describe the dinner and everything that we had experience last night yeah it was snowing heavily yesterday i mean i wouldn't quite describe it as a blizzard but it, the, the weather wasn't particularly kind especially for photographic opportunities um and we'll get to a little bit about the new desmos adichie anyway dave because even if they did put a bike in the snow it probably wouldn't have been such a fantastic revelation um you know we'll talk about you know 
2023 Ducati in a moment because there are a couple of talking points from the launch. But the point is that, you know, people are doing this kind of stuff again. Um, you know, it does have high promotional worth. At the launch yesterday, the ceremony started with, you know, a speech by, I think, one of the director generals of this area, this, this high tourism area, as well as our representative from Audi, who do various activities in the zone. They pushed the ecological message a little bit, but I, I, I failed to see how an automobile company can really, you know, spout too much about being green and ecological in a ski resort. Electric cars, mate, electric cars. Yeah, so you remember that when you're burning around a lake uh, today in your promo activity and a diesel and I'll ask it, sideways. I'll, I'll ask for a nice hybrid. <laughs> yeah, so from back on the main night, even Peko Bagnaia, I think, said yesterday at one point that he kind of jokingly requested a Ducati to resurrect this event, um, you know, because it was something that you know, had significance in the MotoGP uh, event landscape, I guess you could say. Yeah, but I mean, it deserves to be... Re I mean, if you're going to resurrect it, now is the time to resurrect it because you've got two world champions. You know, you won both MotoGP and World Superbikes. Uh, they've earned it. I mean, they're calling this uh, Campioni in Pista, you know, the champions on the, well, I suppose the ski run or whatever, but uh, yeah. Pista. <laughs> but yeah, yes, yes. Champion, yes, yes. Champions on the piste is uh, definitely, it's more of the journalists who Neil, are on the piste. You've now been promoted to uh, pronunciation expert on the Pilot Pass <laughs> podcast, so congratulations, <laughs> David, and better luck next time. Will you just stick to Asen? Second, I'm uh, uh, I'm first loser again. But uh, yeah, I mean, Claudio de Minacali, the CEO of Ducati uh, Motor Company. I'm not sure what the official title is for, for Ducati. I think it's Ducati Motor Holding, but I'm not sure. Right. Well, he, he said that this was um, an event for an unprecedented year, which seemed quite nicely to sum things up, didn't it? So, But no, I mean, let's talk about the main takeaway from the event itself. I guess there was not a great variation in the color scheme itself. I mean, Ducati looks very much like that blood red that they launched for the first time last year in 2022. Uh, it was more really the number, wasn't it? I mean, it's the first time we're going to see a number one in MotoGP for 10 years. Yeah, exactly. And I know Dave was uh, extraordinarily excited to uh, see the number one being unveiled yesterday. Um, I'm always like quite surprised that this is such a big thing, to be honest. I know number ones do look cool. I think number ones should be uh, more of a thing in MotoGP, even if you are someone that has your own number. And I know the, the kind of branding, um, we've, we've spoken about this a lot in the past, but how valuable it is to keep your number for branding purposes. But number one does look cool. It looks prestigious. You've earned it. You've won a MotoGP World Championship. You've reached the pinnacle of the sport. So I think um, Peko's bike looks the better for having the number one on it. Same with Alvaro and World Superbike. Um, and uh, yeah. I, I think you're right about you know, number one looking good on a bike. Uh, I think it looked better in the past because the bikes generally were cleaner. There were fewer sponsor, uh, you know, sort of sponsors on the bike. The, the liveries tend to be a bit scrappy because there's so many stickers, there's so many sponsors, there's so many partners who want a piece of the bike. Uh, you know, that's just part of the development of all sports. Uh, that money has become a, a increasingly important part. <laughs> of the sports. Um, so, yeah, it, it doesn't look quite as good. But, yeah, I mean, it, it does look nice. Also, I like the fact that they have the, the the sort of black section on the nose where the number is, so you can at least sort of see uh, see the number. The only real change to the livery was the, uh, at the bottom of the fairing is, you know, the appearance of Monster. So, uh, I, someone said on Twitter, are they going to make, we've already got a Ducati Monster. Huh. But and now, I suppose, we could have a Monster Ducati Monster. Yeah, and, well, I guess Suzuki have departed, so Monster had to put um, that uh, that dosh somewhere, right, on the grid. 
I think generally when we talk about race numbers, are they quite, I mean, they're almost impossible to see in Formula One, aren't they? But in MotoGP, can it be quite difficult to, to spot riders' numbers somewhere? I mean, say, again, we're talking about people who have watched the sport for years, we're fans of the sport, we can recognize an Bastianini from an angle of an elbow, perhaps. But, you know, for somebody who's watching a race for the first time, it's these two identical motorcycles. Uh, how do you discern which one is the, the, the rookie to the team and which one's the world champion? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think it, it, it can be very difficult. Uh, I like it when they have different helmets. But I suppose, Neil, you're the expert because you, during the all Moto2 and Moto3 commentary, um, you have to be able to recognize riders. And uh, you're not looking at numbers. I presume you're not looking at numbers. You must be looking at other things. Yeah, helmets or um, color schemes on the leathers or things like that. Yeah, body shape, I guess, as well. Sometimes the number in like exceptional circumstances, but it's quite rare that you would pay attention to that. Yeah, I mean, yes. I if I had a if I were to have a play, I mean, I always liked the and also I like uh, something which LCR does from time to time, which is run the yellow uh, background with the black number, which is the old fashioned way because that was the that was the way that the rules wrote for the five hundred cc color scheme. Um, each class had a different color. Um, was it black black for one two fives and green for two fifties, or the other way around? Uh, I th- no, it was black for it was black. It was white number on a black background background for uh, uh, 125s and uh, I think white or black on on green for uh, 250s and then I can't remember what 350s were. There was another one for 350s but there was, um, yeah, different colour schemes for each. So presumably, because I think Peko's number is sort of white on a black background, so um, congratulations on, uh, on a 125 World Championship. Because, you, I mean, you've been an advocate for the MHGP system of where the championship leader has a red plate. Uh, also, I think in Supercross that's adopted. Uh, but then MXGP, the Motocross World Championship, still has that denotation between the 250s and, and the Premier Class, which is yep. a white background. So the numbers are legible straight away, which in a sport can be quite dirty, is, is also quite important. But, I mean, there's marketing value, isn't there, to a number one? I mean, if Bagnaia is winning a race at Mugello on a Ducati with a number one, that's you know got to be an image that Ducati will want on posters or on dealerships anywhere around the world. Yeah, and I think this is maybe the first time that Ducati have won the MotoGP, or they go into a MotoGP and World Superbike season as reigning champions. We had Gordon Ritchie on the Note Show yesterday, obviously uh, best known for his appearances on our World Superbike shows with Steve and uh, Charlie Hiscon. He was saying he wouldn't have been surprised if um, someone from Ducati had maybe had a word with the riders and said, like, look, this is a great chance for us to kind of showcase the fact that we had such a brilliant 2022 would you mind if we ran the number one instead of the, whatever, 19 or 63? If you think about the people who um, have successfully de- defended their title without running the number one, uh, the, you know, the, there's not a great deal of them. It's basically um, Valentino Rossi and Mark Marquez. Uh, everyone else has, has sort of pretty much owned the number one. Um, so... It, there's a confidence question there as well. Do you know what I mean? So, like, when you are given the opportunity to to run the number one, you run the number one. Um, but if you think, if you are at the level of confidence and ambition of a Valentino Rossi or a Mark Marquez, you might think, I don't need to run the number one because I'm going to be champion again next year. This is not my this is not my only shot at a championship. I think Pekka Banyaya knows how hard it was for him to win this championship and he knows it's going to be hard for him to win another championship. Whereas uh, I think Mark Marquez goes into every championship thinking, I'm going to win unless. 
Others are thinking, I hope I can do everything to win. It's a different mindset. Do you think a lot of people now in MotoGP have that mindset though, Dave? Because it is clo- such a cliche, isn't it? Closer than ever. Every season seems to be closer or better than the, than the last one. But Yeah, well, I mean, you know, luckily Mark Marquez um, has been extremely injured. So that's made it look really, really close. But uh, I still think that Marquez... Uh, in fact, and like everyone you talk to, Chad Reid in last week's show saying, look, he's just a step above the rest. Um, I think he does have that, um, uh, that step on it. And he's, um, you know, we're lucky that he's on a Honda, which is, uh, not such a fantastic motorcycle. Well, further underlining what you just said, uh, Gigi Alinga, when he came onto the stage yesterday and spoke in Italian, we were able to listen through the, the translation, the dr- translation that was happening through the event, um, said, you know, how difficult it would be to repeat the championship this year uh you know there was a real i think i think it was he stressed how much humility and, and being humble is an important characteristic not only in sport but in life but i think he was being uh he was setting his goals realistically there was no pomp and fanfare about this championship ahead of the the brand new one this year i thought it was it was uh, an interesting approach Apparently at the uh, the dinner last night, I didn't speak to, to Gigi, but uh, a few of our colleagues were, were were chatting to him before the dinner. And uh, one of the things he said was that um, this season has been, oh, sorry, this preseason has been probably the most relaxing of his life. Um, there's not that sort of ridiculous pressure on his shoulders to perform to piece together a, a bike that could win the championship because he's finally achieved his ultimate goal which was to win the MotoGP which World is what he was hired to do exactly yeah so I guess there must be a kind of lifting of pressure but I don't know um, one of the things I think we'll, we'll probably come on to is just you know what kind of Ducati we'll see at the Sepang test in a couple of weeks time we had a few indications of what we might see there yesterday um, and it does seem that Ducati are quite intent on learning from their lessons from last year yeah it's also that Japan, um Dillinger's words to our colleagues yesterday are something of a contrast to Paolo Chiabatti. Incidentally, we've got a small interview exclusively for the podcast coming up on this show. And um, Paolo was saying that he's never had a busier preseason. Of course, he looks after a lot of the commercial aspects of Ducati course and the way they go racing in MotoGP. And as you'd expect, Dave, in a two to three month period, they've been full gas, trying to maximize exposure from what they've achieved both in Superbike and MotoGP. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is no point winning a championship if you can't uh, uh, seize the marketing opportunities and they, you know they've definitely done that uh, they definitely want to do that as well uh, which is one of the reasons we're here and it's the first well it was the first Italian to win a MotoGP championship on an Italian bike since what 72 Agostini yeah, Agostini on the MP yeah, and the first championship in the class since Valentino Rossi so you'd, you'd imagine Bagnaia I know he's been away on a, an exotic island somewhere and got engaged uh, but you know he's also been in demand I mean it's been a short pre-season for those guys yeah I mean one thing about the season because I have to think of um, Fabio Quattararo last season and I really thought he came into it with the with the right attitude because at the start we were saying uh, he was saying we were asking so you know what's it like starting the season as champion he says I'm not champion that was last year I won the championship this year this year I, we start from zero again and you I, I think you get the same sense of a bit from Peko like okay this season we're starting over and I have to make, I have to, you know, not make the same mistakes that I did last year. Maybe he'd seen the Yamaha dyno sheet, Dave, and that's why <laughs> he decided to give us his reaction to those figures. Um, Neil, you teased it per- perfectly, but um, we're going to take a very small break. When we come back from that, we'll get into the final talking points from Ducati and also hear what Paolo Giovanni had to say.
Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars are premium race-spec clip-ons available in nine different options, two different offsets, and six different diameters, all developed in collaboration with top-level race teams. Use the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Welcome back. We're here talking in Italy shortly before we depart. Uh, Dave, you're not going to be skiing today on the slopes. Uh, you're going to be working and eating and drinking. Uh, not necessarily in that order, but yes. Yeah, no, I can't ski. I've never, well, I've, I've uh, been cross country skiing once, which I quite enjoyed, uh, but not enough to actually go and do it again. There's not enough, uh, there's not enough snow around. And on the agenda, of course, is the Sepang test. We've got the Portimao test. We're likely have a, likely to have a gas gas presentation in Barcelona at some point in early March and Repsol, Repsol Honda as well in Madrid, uh, but no firm date for that yet. Hopefully we can convene at those events and also give some sort of feedback to um, what we've learned. But, you know, you mentioned it before. We were not disappointed when they unveiled the Desmos Adichis and, and they were last year's bike because that's very much the, um, the MO for these kind of presentations. Nobody's showing off anything particularly new ahead of the, the test where they're, they're trying new stuff that might not ultimately be on the first grid of the season. So there's still a lot of, uh, uh, I don't know, subjective analysis going on when it comes to the profile of the motorcycles we were not surprised dave to, to not see anything new yesterday but you know also the messages coming out from Gigi Dellinga and the rest of Ducati is very much like uh you know it's not it's not broken so we're not going to try and fix it no i mean the, the 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 bike is fantastic we saw that at the end of the last year we also just look at the uh, the results. I don't have the, the stats. I can't remember off the eleven top. wins and sixteen pole positions. Yeah, and then a whole bunch of podiums. I mean, like a ridiculous number of podiums. How many times they had at least three or four uh, races where they just had a, took a clean sweep of the um, uh, of, of the podiums. So it, that was really. I mean, they just, it, it's such a good bike. They don't have to make a huge, uh, a, a huge leap. They need a little bit more of everything, but they need to make changes, which, uh, they, they need to make changes, which they're sure are improvements and are not going to, they're not going to end up paying for. I think, um, also to go back to, you know, why the livery is, you know, you know, the why the, the bike that they show is, is the old bike is because they're not there to present the bike. They're there to present the sponsors, which again, we saw at the presentation, uh, it, the afternoon session was, you know, basically their sponsors, Lenovo and, um, Oh, and Aruba, uh, Aruba IT, the MotoGP and World Superbike sponsors, uh, really looking, just talking about their company. So, yeah, it, 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 what they're putting out, what they're presenting is the paint scheme and, and especially the names which uh, have paid to be on those paint schemes. Yeah, I think Ducati are kind of going to have to go against their, their instincts, which is always to come up with something quite innovative, quite daring, quite different to the rest of the field, something outside the box, which takes a bit of time to develop and, and just accept that what they have is something that's really, really good. Paolo Giabatti mentioned it when we spoke to him yesterday, which we'll obviously hear later on in the show. But, you know, I think he said that really, had they not had such a... Uh, complicated preseason and then slow start to the year they could have wrapped the championship up by thailand really you know like they were that level above the others um and it was only because of that slow start that um you know it went right the way to the final race more or less um so it does seem that um yeah there's obviously going to be i think quite a few different aerodynamic packages that they've been working on over the uh, off season we might see two or three of those at sepang um 
I think they were talking about maybe trying to find three or four horsepower in the engine. But which Gigi is, Delinia will not build a, uh, build an engine with less power than the previous one. Right. He will sacrifice. I mean, like occasionally I hear it, sort of little things, and uh, they he will go to an extraordinary lengths for. Um, uh, for for more horsepower, but um, uh, they've also learned, especially I think, that you know horsepower isn't everything. It's it really is about you know usable horsepower, and that's what you really saw uh, with last year's Ducati. Was you know the power was so usable, the bike had so much drive, uh, and that was what really gave them um, big advantage in qualifying, which became really important and also during the race. Yeah. And I think it's also going to be important in sprint races. Yeah, exactly. But the, the, the kind of message was very much we want to start the season on the front foot and not be coming to the European season like at Jerez three or four races in. Undecided. You know, 40 points back and with a couple of guys on a couple of different engine configurations like they had last year. So it does seem that uh, they're, they're trying to go against maybe their natural instinct and, and just kind of evolve gradually rather yeah, than... Uh, yeah, we spoke to uh, Davide Barana, the uh, technical chief, um, and he was also sort of like saying, you know, the way he was describing it, it sounded like there was going to be like a parallel, almost like parallel development tracks where they concentrate on stuff for this year's bike uh, and not do anything too radical, but they have a couple of like, you know, big ideas which they will develop this year to test for next year so uh, which to me with such limited testing it makes uh, it makes it real sense to try to develop that way because uh, uh, you can sort of like keep one step ahead um while without risking too much with your current championship riders yeah this is it's not a case of ducati resting on their laurels on not necessarily doing anything i mean barano when i spoke to him last night at the dinner said he actually only attends half of the race calendar because he's too busy. He said traveling days is days out of, out of the workshop, out of the office, um, and it's missed miss work time. So, I mean, Gigantia is still pushing ahead, but I do wonder how much of it is a bit of smoke and mirrors, Dave. I mean, it seems unrealistic to expect that Ducati aren't going to have something new for MotoGP fans to see um, or maybe even something we'll see in Sepang but then won't appear for the race season you know there's going yeah, to be a, some... it's always really interesting going to the Sepang uh, sort of like the first two tests or like the Sepang test uh, and then the first race because uh, Sepang test you see all sorts of stuff it's, it's always fascinating uh, and then you go to like the first race and like there's all this stuff missing you go, well, what have they been doing what's, what's, what's missing sort of thing or you know, there's either extra buttons or fewer buttons, or uh, you know, sort of bits of bits of fairing or bits of fairing missing, or uh, you know, the, 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 they've gone back to last year's tail. Whatever, there's always something, there's something new jutting out from somewhere. And you think, <laughs> what, what exactly does that do? But I mean, one of the other things, um, you know, moving aside from from Ducati's profile, which you know, Dave, you'll be on the ground in Sepang, so we'll be relying on your um, your eagle eye uh, when it comes to the first test, and then uh, hopefully in Portimao, we'll see maybe even an evolution of some of those principal ideas that come out of Malaysia. But uh, one of the things, Neil, we can really talk about from Ducati, maybe the last kind of um, editorial highlight, I guess you could say, is uh, Bastianini coming into the team. This is twenty years now that Ducati have had a factory team in MotoGP. Um, Bastianini is the seventh Italian in that time. This is the third occasion we've seen two Italians. Uh, we've had the two Andreas in the same team. We've had Andrea Dovizioso and Danilo Petrucci. And now, of course, we have Pecco Bagnaia being teamed up with Bastianini. Um, it's impossible to see them both there and think, well, you know, there's uh, 
There's an A and B ranking. I mean, Bastini was so hot from 2022, but uh, I mean, he looked comfortable in the colours. He wasn't overawed by the, uh, the 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 you know the scale of, of a factory team presentation. Um, he seemed to be kind of lapping it up, really. Yeah, I mean, this just in: an Air Bastianini was cool as a cucumber uh, <laughs> and didn't look overawed by the occasion, as he so often as he so often does uh, appear. But yeah, uh, it was obviously a good chance to. I think one of the big talking points this year, obviously, is how that relationship is going to is going to develop. How Bastianini is going to um, ingratiate himself uh, to the team, and um, yeah, I mean, he seemed very chilled yesterday. There were some messages coming out from Paolo Ciabatti from the two riders as well that uh, those very very intense duels that we saw last year at Aragon, Mizano, and Sepang. Maybe not going to. Um, going to reach fever pitch but um, to be honest I believe that when I see it Dave not, not wanting to get all kind of tabloidy but at the dinner last night they sat next to each other uh, so there's this there's clearly some sort of uh, friendly atmosphere there. Unless team someone said, orders. Go and sit down there. Team orders. It's team orders. <laughs> sit down there. Order each other's food. Uh, but, you know. Well, fortunately, they didn't have to order because, you know, it was a set menu. So you were. He got, he got uh, mapping it on his uh, yeah, ride exactly. up to the uh, restaurant <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> but um, that was one thing that Pekka was kind of at pains to, to say yesterday. I, I did ask him about, you know, is he expecting something that's quite tense and. Uh, you know, he's had four years basically with Jack Miller as his teammate. They were obviously like good pals and there was almost like an acceptance in Miller's part at one point that there was a bit of a hierarchy within the Ducati garage. Pekka was the, the number one there. And, yeah, um, I wonder, that's a good point. But I, like, I also wonder whether, because Jack Miller was the test donkey for, he was like the test mule for uh, Ducati when he was in Pramac. So I wonder if that made it easier for him to accept his role within the within the Ducati factory, within the factory Ducati sort of seat, because he was already sort of in the. I don't want to say subservient. Wingman. He was already a little bit of a wingman. Yeah, I mean, look, he was still. He wanted, obviously, wanted to win the championship, but um, I do wonder whether uh, that sort of idea, like you know, you're here to help Ducati, um, which is how they will phrase it made it a little bit easier for him to sort of accept that. Whereas, you know, Banyaya was doing less helping and more just sort of pure racing. And I think that Enea is going to be much more of, you know, he doesn't seem, I mean, he's a lovely chap, but he doesn't seem like the helpful kind. No, he doesn't. Um, one only needs to look at the, the second half of last year to understand that. Uh, Chiapati did say that the, the relationship between Miller and Banyaya was something pretty unique for factory teammates it's pretty rare that you see guys get on so well and like appear so friendly with each other um you know Banyai did say yesterday that even during those kind of intense battles last year him and Bastianini were like in his word pretty close um you know they were they were always rather friendly and like chatting to each other um it doesn't seem like there's really any big animosity there but um but yeah there's no doubt that there's it's two Italians in the factory Ducati team um, you know, there will be fireworks, um, especially if, you know, Bastianini has a good preseason like he did last year. He said that, um, um, I asked whether it's going to be a big kind of adaptation going from the 21 bike to the 23 bike. And he said, no, like last year, going from the 19 to the 21 bike, that was a big adaptation. Those were really different bikes, whereas this was just kind of a, a natural progression. Um, so, um, yeah, lots of words were kind of put out to, I see Jenny fears that there was going to be, um, you know, bitter rivalry. Yeah. But um, I think, you know, when it gets down to the racing, 
it's going to be yeah it's, 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 it's going to be a change dynamic isn't it it's a straight yeah. shootout there because you know again Dave maybe in Sepang if we want to see what Jacassi are really up to we have to look at Jan Zarco's bike because yeah. you know um, there's and a notion Piro. yeah there's a notion before that Miller might have potentially had something not risky but uh, you know undecided on his machine before going to Bagnaia but now Giabatias were here were stressing that you know uh, Bastianini and Bagnaia will have exactly the same treatment exactly the same technology I mean I'm sure as Miller had as well but you know there was there's clearly like a leveling of, of the of the teammates in that structure now yeah but I, uh, again a lot of this uh, internecine battle we won't actually get to see because it'll be behind the scenes it'll be uh, Paco going to Chibati or it'll be uh, Bastianini going to Mar or more likely it'll be their managers uh, going there and saying because Paco will complain to his manager well, what's Bastianini testing this for or why do you catch me making me test this I don't want to test this and Bastianini will be exactly the same and there'll be sort of arguments about you know who's going to be testing what just because that's the nature of the game um and they are much more they are starting off at an equal thing but it, like the uh, pekka will obviously keep on throwing you know like there's another good reason to ha have the number one which is you know you take a uh, david atardotsi into the garage you point at the front of the bike and you say no i'm not testing that fucking and a is going to uh, going to be testing it so that's um there's a there's a whole sort of hidden power dynamic that we never get to see, which only sort of like leaks out uh, from from time to time, which you have to watch carefully. Well, that's why the Tardotsi uh, you know presentation is very much like a small window into the mentality <laughs> of a, a Ducati uh, pit box. You know, and my GP fans keep an eye on him and his heart rate throughout the season because you know you might be able to get a, a clue as to what's uh, going on inside there. Um, just quickly, guys, before before we move on to Paolo and, and wrap up the podcast. Uh, we talk, we're here at the Ducati team launch. We're talking about the factory team, of course, but then there's a wider Ducati family. I mean, even at breakfast this morning, we're talking a bit about Alex Marquez and his potential on the Desmond Sedici. Uh, we can't rule out the fact that there might be another Bastianini, if you like, for this season bursting out of the, out of the wings, ready to upset things. Yeah, I mean, you know, Marco Bezzecchi, uh, Jorge, Jorge Martin. Martin. Yeah, Jorge Martin has got a point to prove. Like, he's, he's not going to be riding a Ducati in 2020. Hang on a minute. Well, Four. Thank you. Yeah, I'm getting old. There's so, much, so many numbers. I keep on thinking it's 1997. Yeah, is it obvious that you were uh, knee deep in wine last night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I kept it below the knee. Um, some of our colleagues were sort of, you know, pretty Such much merged. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, um, I've got my point now, man. <laughs> Marco Bezzecchi and Luca Marini. Yeah, and Bezzecchi, Bezzecchi. I mean, Bezzecchi had some really strong performances last year, and it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. Um, and Marini is going to be, uh, he's, he's a bit of a diesel, so he's going to be, you know, like make some progress. Jorge Martin is going to be riding a Ducati or riding another bike in 2024 uh so he's you know got a point proof he's got contracts to uh, to secure and the size of it will depend on his results in the first part of the season uh, uh let's see what Joan Zarka it's also going to be see, interesting to see how the um sprint races change that dynamic because yeah exactly yeah because I think uh Bastianini was saying yesterday that 
he maybe doesn't have that explosive pace at the start of races. That's one of his weaknesses, and that's not really going to be acceptable in sprint races. You're going to be losing a whole load of points if you cannot get up to speed in the first five laps uh, in those situations. But um, one person I think that, that should be really good for the sprint races is Jorge Martin because he does have that really fast pace over like a handful of laps. Maybe the end of the race is not his strong suit, whether it's tire management or, or some physical issues that have plagued his MotoGP career to date. I think, you know, Martin could be a shoe in for a handful of, of kind of sprint race wins. Yeah, and you would again. You can really see him at the start of the uh, start of the season, maybe leading the championship uh, because of strong performances in uh, in sprint races, uh, and because he is really looking for a for a strong contract. Little bench racing question: If Johan Zarco wins a sprint race after so many years trying to win a, a MotoGP, does that count for anything? <laughs> that, no, um, uh, I think that's a really really good question. Uh, I would like to say no, but then I sort of think. Um, uh, like in 2023 we will say no it doesn't count but I think looking back in 2025 and 2026 I think this is a point that I've made before uh, about the World Superbike Superpole races like they started off trying to have like you know keep it out of the statistics and keep it a separate thing and that lasted for um, you know maybe a season and a half and then everyone is no one can be bothered keeping uh, keeping that like as much as we all like to think of ourselves as racing purists it lasts until uh, it, it lasts until you have to sort of adjust your spreadsheet and rack your memory again as to whether someone whether it was you know on the Saturday or the Sunday that Joan Zarco won yeah and just to go back to your point there Adam, it's a good one um, you know one of the reasons why Ducati can come into this year in a, a confident frame of mind not just because their bike is so good but the stable of riders that they have and, and how competitive pretty much everyone on that bike bar the Gian Antonio was towards the end of last year you have to say of the eight riders seven of them probably podium men this year yeah maybe five of them or six I don't know if you would count Marini as a potential race winner this year but you know five possible race winners I would say the two Primark guys the two factory guys Pizzecki maybe as well yeah um, I mean that's not a bad lineup is it you know Yamaha certainly can boast of that strength and depth uh, no they've got one rider <laughs> um, but yeah it, it, even uh, I mean even other manufacturers if, you, if we go through the, the, the manufacturers if you look at Aprilia uh, I mean Vinales can definitely get on a podium um, uh, maybe even win Aleish we know he can win we know he can get podiums I would be shocked if uh, Oliveira doesn't get at least a podium this year genuinely shocked um, uh, you, don't forget your mate Raul Fernandez. yeah but my mate Raul Fernandez, who's going to um, be in back in Moto2 in 2024 um I also think, I mean, if you, well, Honda is weird. I mean, they've got two world champions in their, uh, uh, in their, in the Repsol squad, but, you know, Mark Marquez and Juan Mir. And I think both Mir and Alex Rins were in for a terrible shock there. But like all three, you know, it, all of those riders have had podiums and it's kind of really going to depend on how good that bike is, whether, whether they can get, get podiums again. I mean, you know, Obviously, Mark is going to either uh, at least win a race. Uh, as long as he's at the Saxon ring, he should be fine. Um, um, KTM, uh, Brad. I mean, you know that Brad Binder is going to get a couple of podiums, no matter what the bike is like. If the bike has made a, a title special. contention, I'm, I'm saying it now. If that, it, I mean, depending on the bike. 
sure, but I, I don't think KTM will make a big enough step. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have to make a step in qualifying. Brad Binder has to be on the first two rows um, because you look at how good he is when he's sort of starting, starting further back. Um, Jack Miller, uh, I mean, I expect Jack Miller to get podiums. Uh, uh, Pole, I think, can definitely get podiums. So, yeah, there's a lot of... It's quite annoying because, I mean, we've basically named, well... It might have the grid, David, only usual trick, really. Yeah, that's um, right. I think, you know, the uh, preview yeah, show right. is going to be riveting the, listening. That's right, 18 You've or... You've done the preview show. Exactly. Eight, there could be 18 or 19 different riders on the uh, on the podium, which is just bonkers. Do you think Augusto Fernandez might be Rookie of the Year, Dave? Is that, are you putting your money on him? <laughs> I'm, I mean, like, I'm not a betting man, uh... But you know, I might, I might, I might wager a little punt there. I'm not sure. <laughs> but you look at the last couple of years. I think it's been. I don't know the exact figures, but uh, going back to 2020 up to 2022, I think we've had 15, 16 different men on the podium in each in each year. Yeah. Um. So you know, variety is very much the. And the are we going to be counting the sprint races as well? Oh, goodness, don't go there. I hope you could hear my eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> yes, can't convey that quite so much on a podcast, especially an audio one. But listen, guys, that's it. Um, you know, we've got places to be here in Italy. Uh, but what's next? Is it, is it actually Sepang next? There's there's a couple more team launches. I know KTM happening at the end of this week. Um, uh, like we said, Gas Gas is not to the beginning of March. Potentially, you think Repsol Honda is going to be happening in the next two to three weeks? I guess we'll find out soon. But uh, Dave, we've got a great show. I mean, you spoke with Peter Bomb. Um, yeah, about the Sepang test so that might be coming up next week I think now we've got s- still some time haven't we yes I'm getting my calendars mixed up here yeah I'm in su- I'm in the US for Supercross next week when when are we going when is Sepang Sepang is uh, 10, 11, 12 right so yeah, okay. uh, so I leave for Sepang I think two weeks today right okay so or we, two weeks tomorrow I'm not sure so we might have to show with Peter next week because uh, yeah. that was very much a preview for the test uh, yeah, I think crossed. so. I can't remember. Anyway, we'll, we shall we shall have to talk to the boss about uh, who's uh, who's who's doing what. Yeah, don't DM us over the organisation, uh, <laughs> as you know by well well people who listen to the podcast know it's not our our strength. It was a free bar last night, also <laughs> in, in our defence. <laughs> Yeah, well, less. Uh, we were here working. We were being conscious. We were trying to ask the right questions, trying to get the right information for the podcast. So, um, yeah, is yeah. this wine uh, recently opened? <laughs> <laughs> is this organic? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Gigi, can you explain? Should I be drinking red or white with this fish? <laughs> yeah. right configuration but listen we're going to play out with uh, Paolo Chiabatti he spoke to us um, just after the presentation yesterday so um, let's hear what he has to say and we'll join you again hopefully next week on the Paddock Pass podcast uh, brought to you by Rental Street Dave you, anything else you want to add Neil are we done okay guys thanks a lot it's clear at the end of last year that you guys weren't just champions but you know the best and most competitive package on the grid how do you improve from that uh, I'm talking MotoGP or Superbike, sorry, before MotoGP. we go. Okay, okay, because, <laughs> just because. Well, uh, you know, as uh, it was mentioned, I think, by, by Pecco and also by Gigi in his uh, introduction, last year, actually, we had a difficult beginning in 2022, so probably some of the developments that were uh, tested in uh, uh, Jerez in the last test and then improved on a simulation 
during the remaining time before the Sepang test didn't really work in the way we expected. So I think uh, then we had to go a little bit backwards. As you know, we used this hybrid version of the engine for the factory guys, which was uh, like uh, between 21 and 22, let's say, Heretz specification test just to be. And I think we, we also learned a little bit a lesson that, uh, you know, took us time and, and we lost some opportunities in the first, first part of the season. Now, uh, always looking for the improvements because we, we never know what the competition will do. But once we reach level of comp competitiveness that we had uh, with our bikes, uh, I think uh, we just look at small things here and there. Uh, you don't want to disrupt the, the whole um, balance that you have in the bike. For sure, if we can get three, four more horsepower, always welcome. Some other areas we, we've been working on, but in general, obviously the aerodynamics will have some uh, new ideas to be tested, uh, probably in Sepang. But apart from this, uh, this bike uh, 2023 is going to be basically an evolution of a 2022 bike. If you look at the numbers, 20, 12 races, won 16 pole position out of 20, I think these numbers mean that, uh, you know, don't don't fix something that is not broken, they say in English, I think. Okay. Uh, so improve it a little bit, but carefully. But because it does seem like um, you, it's all, all, almost perfect, but no motorbike is ever perfect. Uh, but the risk of change is now, it's more that you break something that, than that you can make, uh, make big steps. Well, if you, if you want to do some bold moves, yes. If you just uh, know where you still, the rider is still complaining a little bit and you work on those areas and you find solutions which might improve that, I think this is the, the job we, we need to do for sure. Our engineers always like to come up with uh, maybe more, um, uh, how can you say in English, uh, uh, innovative ideas. Yes. Yeah. But uh, in this moment, I think we're more concentrated on some more conventional improvements, just as I said, trying to get a little bit more horsepower, torque, and, and, and fix small things than going into a radical uh, new bike because we don't need that, actually. Okay, then time will tell because we'll need to see what uh, the other manufacturers are doing, but we are con quite confident that uh, we can keep the competitiveness uh, and uh, maybe improve it a little bit. This is always a task. Paolo, how do you see the, the political landscape of MotoGP now? Do you think uh, there'll be a lot of concern about sprint races initially this season, or is there a lot of discussion to be had about the rules when it comes to things like aerodynamics and the, maybe some of the innovation you want to do for 24 or the future? Um, I think basically there is a general agreement that uh, there should not be dramatic rule change and technical rule change until the end of this current rule set, rule of, set of rules. So... Okay, in the past we experienced uh, some, you know, problems with some innovation from the, you know, the deflector or spoon as we call it to the front right eye device and so on. But I think now uh, mostly, you know, it's, it's going to be quite stable. I think we're all working on uh, using 40% uh, non-fossil fuels from next year and uh, then uh, zero fossil fuel from 2020. So 100% non-fossil fuels from 2027 onwards and uh, discussing about the new set of rules. Obviously, <clears throat> this is an ongoing discussion and MSMA just to try to come up with some ideas for uh, what will be the set of rules for the future 
where the world is already changing, sustainability is a big issue, and so on. So this I cannot disclose because it's just preliminary and not all the manufacturers have exactly the same idea, but this is, I think, more where we are focused, and I don't expect any uh, significant rule change with changes until the end of this current set of rules. Uh, about the sprint race, it's a challenge. On one side, obviously, I think it's bringing some some excitement to the championship because, uh, you know, it might change really the scenario. Some riders can be fast from lap one to the last lap. Some riders, as, as Enea was saying, is normally, you know, it's like a diesel engine. It comes very strong with very, very good tires at the end of a race. So it was been able most of the times to, you know, constantly improve and then win a race coming from maybe 8, 9, 10 position. <clears throat> Other riders like Jorge Martin, they are super fast in the first part of the race and sometimes they lose a little bit towards the end. So he's a, kind of maybe a game changer, this rule. And uh, on the other side, to be totally honest, is going to have a lot of stress to the whole structure because you don't, even though the track time is going to be basically the same, you don't prepare a bike for a race in the same way you prepare a bike for uh, qualifying or, or, or FP4 or whatever. So I think, uh, let's see, I think uh, mechanics will be more stressed. Uh, you know, 21 more race starts with the first lap, which is normally when uh, dangerous. yeah, dangerous part also. It's something that uh, uh, we'll need to see. Uh, obviously, on the other side, Maybe it was time for a change to just bring more interest in the championship to, to change a little bit what has been a format going on for so many years. Uh, maybe introducing it for half of a race, one third of a race, and the first year would have been um, a, a, a more uh, a reasonable approach. Uh, but uh, decision is made and uh, we'll just uh, do the best we can. As I said, it might be changing a little bit the way the championship will, will go. Speaking of stress, um, winning a championship is difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, defending a championship, as you know, it's much more difficult. Uh, celebrating the championship is even more difficult <laughs> because we had so many things to do from uh, after we came back from Valencia to... No, it's a joke, but it's honestly, but, but you know... Many manufacturers but, say this. Yeah. It's actually more difficult when you win because there's 10 no, times it's, more to do. It's, it's okay, but because it's, you know, Italian riding, Italian yeah. bike never happened since, uh, you know, Agostini, 50 years, Agostini yeah. and so on. It was big, so we had so many things to do. And obviously... In the factory for Bologna, inside Ducati Corse for the sponsors and so on. So we came here not fully relaxed because we had all the <laughs> November, December. And, but anyway, apart from jokes, uh, for sure, obviously, once you win, it's always difficult to defend. And there aren't many cases where when there are cases because Mark Marquez uh, defended and yeah. is number 93 for long. But normally... Yeah. You, you win one year and the rider is not the same champion next year. You know, Fabio won, is, is now second. Schwan On Mier. the other side, yeah, John Mir. So, um, it's a challenge, but obviously it's a nice challenge to have to, to keep uh, number one on the ferry. Do you approach the year differently then? Mm, not really. Not really. In the way, we know last year we could have won the championship much before. Yeah. If you look at all the zero points in the standings, you and, and if it's not, not a zero, it was a 25. 
zero, zero, 25, 25, 25, 25, 20, zero. Yeah. Okay, so these kind of things make you think, okay, if we start consistently, make no zero. If you can win, you must win. But if you are third or fourth, still good because, uh, you know, you're summing up. Okay, then we know we have to see if it's a sprint race. But I think the only difference in the approach is to try to see how we can manage in the best possible way the sprint race on Saturday. Honestly, we are a little bit concerned about some circuits are very demanding on the rider, Austin. Yeah. So if you have on a Saturday, okay, uh, the, the race half distance, well, the, our riders are not used to this kind of uh, stress in general. Yeah. Then... You know, Dorna might argue that the super guy guys, they do three, so uh, yeah. <laughs> why should they do? But the MotoGP bike is very physical, yeah. uh, a little bit more than a super bike. So let's, let's see. But as I said, a little bit, a few things we just are uh, concerned is uh, physical circuits. Mugello also, I think it's quite physical. So yeah. having, you know, a race on half distance on Saturday and then a full race on Sunday, would the rider have time to recover? physically, mentally, from the stress on the Saturday. Well, this is another uh, area where probably to make the championship more interesting because some riders will adapt, will be able. They are physically strong enough to manage. Some other will do maybe good on Saturday and then, and then maybe struggle on Sunday. Okay, let's see. I mean, as I said, probably it was the time for the show, for the TV, for the spectators to be able to offer something more. Um, qualifying and, and free practice qualifying is interesting, especially for us, because we like it, we are there, we are interested, but maybe as a show for people coming to the circuit, for people watching on TV, a race is a race. Is that a serious? Paolo, you had Jack and Peko in the yep. same garage for mm -hmm. the last two years, and obviously there was a friendly mm -hmm. atmosphere between them both. We saw, you know, uh, Peko yeah. and Nenea fighting quite mm -hmm. intense battles last year. Are you expecting a, a kind of tenser dynamic mm -hmm. in your garage this year? Not really. Obviously, the, the relationship between uh, Peko and Jack was a special one. Don't forget that we were also teammates in Pramac for two years before. And uh, when Peko uh, was in his rookie season, <coughs> sorry, 2019, Jack was already there. So I think it was a kind of... Uh, and Jack is a special guy, you know, he's a very right. nice person, very, very friendly. So I think he welcomed kind of Pecco as a rookie in the team and trying to, to give him some advice. So they built an unusual relationship. I would say I never saw something similar probably in all my career between the two teammates. Uncle Jack. Uh, yeah, Uncle Jack. Uncle Jack, Taxi Jack and so on. <laughs> because he's a nice guy. I mean, he's, yeah. he's helping others in general. And then he can be very, very strong and tough in the race. But he's, he's a great guy. And obviously, uh, somehow we're going to miss him uh, in the garage because he was always finding a way to make it as smile or laugh even in the difficult situation. But life is life. Uh, I think... Uh, Maybe an air uh, now is in factory team. When we are in factory team, obviously uh, the structure is uh, is um, uh, first of all you have responsibility, yeah. and uh, you're gonna have the same material exactly, the same technical support, the same everything, but also the same responsibilities uh, that maybe you don't feel in the same way when you are in an independent team. Independent team, uh, you are independent, even though you are a Ducati contracted rider like Enea uh, was last year. But it's a different feeling. And somehow you feel like you want to compete with the red guys, okay? More uh, <laughs> because 
the team is it was a rookie year for the team as an independent you know before we were managing the april i think so there were many reasons i think now obviously uh third year in moto gp factory team more mature i think uh, we can expect uh, a, a good cooperation obviously you know pecco wants to retain the number one and and enea wants to keep uh, growing seven races won by pecco four by enea so obviously you know enea was a contender in the championship until the last part of the season so for sure it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, competition between the two but i expected it to be more manageable probably than it was last year because i said when you're racing for a ducati independent team there is always probably an extra motivation to to compete with the factory guys. What um, question? What happened between Saxon Ring and Assen last year with Pekka? Because it was like a transformation. He stops doing everything wrong. From from then on, he was amazing. He was almost as good as Mark Marquez in yeah. in, in nineteen. Well, I, I think it was just. Uh, that obviously uh, you know Pecco. Pecco is uh, very much uh, um, is reflecting all, a lot. Yes. So obviously after a race like this, you are upset. First two days, you just feel like you're down because yeah. you 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 think you screwed it up. Sorry, um, and uh, but then obviously. He knew because he knew the races he won before, yeah. and he said, "Come on, how can I make these kind of mistakes?" So, out of this, I think he cleared his mind, like saying, "Okay, now ninety percent is lost, and let's do race by race. Yeah. Let's go race by race. We know we can do it. We know we can do it. Don't think at the championship now because probably is too much of a long shot to think about the championship, but we can do it. So let's and then we had, we won three races in a row and then, you know, almost won uh, Aragon when, when Enea passed him. So, you know, what is uh, 50, 120 points in, in, uh, in five races. And then I think he started to put pressure also on Fabio. Yeah. I think it's more, it's just like this. When you think, you say you upset, you made a mistake. You realize probably why you made the mistake because of pressure or whatever. You are, you know, second and want to, you know, maybe you see Quartararo is, is pulling away. And then you say, okay, now, okay, 91 points. Never happened in history that somebody could win a championship coming back from 91 points. So let's do it. Let's do race by race and see what goes on, what's going on. And uh, here we are with number one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. Hi everybody, welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast this week, a slightly special show. Uh, my name's Adam Weed, I'm joined by David Emmett and Neil Morrison. We're sitting in the reception area of a very alpine-looking hotel. <laughs> sorry, do you need to mention Randall? I'm going to get around to that. Oh, okay. sorry, this is showing your breasts. <laughs> <laughs> These breasts are brought to you by Randall. <laughs> so you were going to take uh, off out the window. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Sorry about that, JV. Should do that more. <laughs> Can you tear it out? Yeah. Just in case you're wondering what's going on, David just bared his chest with his rental t-shirt on.
Fantastic. Genuinely almost perfect. <laughs>